0: You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org.
1: So this morning we're going to actually be hearing a standalone sermon from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So if you have a Bible with you, we're just going to encourage you to turn there with us. If you did not bring a Bible with you, uh, but prefer to uh, read out of a hard copy, Uh, You should be able to find one under a seat around you. And then if you don't own a Bible, um, what we say every week is that we want that to be a gift uh, to you from us. Because we want you to have access to the word of God at your house. So if you don't have one, please feel free to take that one home with you. Um, Again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. So uh, when you get there, if you're willing and able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? In the first book... but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may.
0: Good morning, everyone. Almost Happy New Year. Hope you guys had a great Christmas, like Lauren said. My name is and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I'm just glad that you guys made it out together this morning and braved the weather. If it's your first time, I want to say thanks so much for making us a part of your week, and it would be awesome if you just let us know that you were here. One of the ways you could do that is to fill out a Connect card um, while gathering is going on. So before we jump in this morning, I just want to pray for us and ask the Lord to speak to us through the power of his word. So if you'd bow your heads with me, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much that we get the, uh, not only a, a duty or responsibility, but we get the delight of coming together and to hear your word, to worship you in song, to partake in communion at your table together, to pray together, to encourage one another with your words. Thank you that you have done everything that needs to be done to save us, to rescue us, and to bring us back together as your church, your bride. And we ask now, would you help us to find in your word, not just insight for living, but transformational truth that's there. Jesus, would you stand forth from your word and reveal to us just how glorious you are, how amazing it it is for us, and that it could be for some to live a life in communion with you. And as we look forward to this new year, God, would you help us to be, as your children, wise and discerning, reflective and considerate. And we just ask, my God, would you give us the things that we have not, and Lord, that you would provide the things that you require of us. We love you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we are three days away from a whole new decade. Does that freak anyone else out a little bit? Kind of freaked me out a little bit when I saw that. You know, we're going into 2020, uh, and when I think about that for any length of time, it kind of shocks me a little bit. It happened very quickly, um, and every year around this time, in in the in between, it's only about a week. You know, that we are beginning to prepare for this new year. There's a lot of reflective time spent thinking about what's happened in the last year, and and sometimes. Like, for instance, this year, you look back and you're like, oh, we're going into a whole other decade, so then you're looking back an entire 10 years, you're like, what has happened in the last 10 years? So I've seen, I'm not on social media, but I saw in my wife's that there's a uh, kind of a 10-year like side-by-side photo that's going around, you know, like what's happened in the last 10 years, uh, and what that represents is you kind of look back, and, and I want to discuss a topic this morning that I've been looking forward to uh, for the better part of this year. I want to talk about endings and new beginnings. Um, Obviously, you're looking forward to 2020, so hopefully for many of you, that's exciting and that you're eager for that, you're looking forward to a new beginning. I also see the people that are just like, I'm ready for 2019 to be over, you know, and they just kind of want that to be done, Uh, and and some just kind of looking forward to new beginnings in general. But in particular, I want to talk about how all of life is full of endings and beginnings and how the Christian is called to embrace these endings and beginnings In a way that glorifies Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. And and here's the thing. Um, I have to be honest before I jump in here. I don't have a high need for change as a a human being. Like some people, they have high needs for change. And typically, like leaders have high needs for change. They walk into a situation and whatever it is, they don't like it. They want to change it. They want to kind of shake it up and stir it up. I'm a a little bit of anomaly in that sense because when I walk into a situation, I just generally want it to be peaceful. And I don't like people that don't make it that way, you know? And so because I don't have a high need for change, I tend to be a creature of habit. You know, I eat at the same places. My wife gets onto me. I could eat the same meal every day. I just don't get sick of it. I used to have in my truck uh, when I had uh, my last vehicle. You guys, Some of you guys will remember this. Remember the six CD changers? You know what I'm talking about? It was really cool if you had one of those, all right? And I had a six CD changer and I never changed them. I just listened to the same things over and over and over and over again. My wife would get in the car and be like, this is annoying. I am tired of listening to the same CD. The worst part is some of them were sermons. I just listened to the same sermon over and over and over and over. So I get one thing you know, nailed into my brain. So when I think about uh, new beginnings, I think, man, I, I don't always like that. And here's why. Not because new beginnings aren't exciting. They are exciting. The reason that I have, a, I have trouble with new beginnings is that by their very nature, they represent an ending to something else. And that's not good with me. I, I struggle with why anything would end. And the reason for that is because endings represent sometimes, many times, oftentimes, loss, grief, separation, rejection. In our culture, an ending of something can't even seem like a failure. Something ended, that means you failed. Uh, And in many ways, it almost feels like a death, like something's dying in order for something else to be created. And the statistics would say that a lot of you are probably like me, whether you're willing to admit that or not. You probably are not all that crazy about change. And however, endings and new beginnings are absolutely inevitable in your life. They are happening. It's just like suffering and always... I always joke about you know Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about the two houses and he says, when the storms come, he doesn't say like, if the storms come, he's just telling you outright that if you live in this fallen world, the storms are coming, right? And just just go ahead and expect that. <laughs> I one time heard a pastor talking with a young Christian and he had preached on suffering and the Christian came up to him and said, I just don't understand, like, that's just so dreary and it's so dark. Like I just have, that's not my experience in the Christian life. I haven't suffered like that. And the pastor, an older pastor looked at him and said, suffering is coming for you. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's the most intense thing I've ever heard. And yet he could say that without an ounce of smile in his face. And it was the most loving thing he could say to that young man, because the truth is, he don't have to be prophetic for that to be true. It is coming for you. And so endings and new beginnings, whether you like them or not, they are coming for us. Examples are, you know, you grew up with a lot of endings and new beginnings, like leaving elementary school, going to middle school, right, for you. That was an ending and a new beginning, right? Or going from middle school to high school. You guys remember that awkward change? You're going in as a freshman. I remember, you know, growing up, I'm worried about being hazed. And so me and my friends, we got together and decided that we're just going to, like, preemptively strike. So we decided we're going to try to haze the seniors, That's what we did. So we just went to their house. That was like an awkward transition for me. Um, How about riding with your mom and dad and then getting your driver's license right? There's an ending and a new beginning. Leaving high school, going to college. Leaving college, going into the workforce. Being single, starting to date. Dating, then going to be married. Married, then starting to have not just your spouse next to you in the bed, but now you got this little one that's like nudging you with cold feet and putting their heels in your ribs you know, going from having an only child to being siblings, and then check this out, then your kids grow up, and then they go through the endings and the new beginnings, and you're on the other side of it, so some of the stuff that you celebrated whenever you were young, now you're on the other side, so you're mourning it, like you celebrated, I got my driver's license, so whenever you're a parent, you're like, oh no, this is happening, you know, and so a lot of the excitement that was in a new beginning on the other side is a death for you as a parent, it's the loss of something, right? And then some of you might be thinking, man, well, I embraced all this. Like, I'm a champ. I don't know what you're talking about, about that being a struggle. And I would say, yeah, maybe you did. Probably not all, but perhaps some. And then there's some other endings and new beginnings that I don't think you, any of us really handle all that well. Things like relationships that end unceremoniously. Or how about relationships, like dating relationships that end and you don't have, like, an, another person waiting in the wings To be your new girlfriend, boyfriend, right? That's tough. The death of a loved one who is impossible to replace. That's tough, right? And that's an ending. How about losing a job? Like, not like you go in and you got this new job slated, but it's like you just get let go. 2008 was a big moment for lots of people, right? In the recession, it's just just going into work one day, feeling like everything's going to be all right, and losing your job. Or losing a friend, whether that be through conflict or through them moving. That's tough, isn't it? When people move, like we've had some, some members of Providence move in the last three months, it's just heartbreaking. Like you're excited for them, but it's also an end. Or accidents or sickness that happen in life, and it just causes a, a, a loss and end as you know it to what your life is like. You ever had that? It's weird, right? Like one phone call, there could be a sickness, there could be something that happens, and the life that you knew is no longer here, and you're just gotta cope with that. And the difference here is not just the tragedy of some of these things, but the uncertainty that when something ends, there could be a new beginning possible. And what that leads us to is there's a third period of time between endings and new beginnings or new beginnings and endings, and it's the thing that none of us want to talk about because it's most likely going to be very difficult, and that is the waiting period in between, right? When something starts, there's a lot of promise, but you have a long waiting before fulfillment, Or when something ends, then you're looking for the new beginning on the horizon, and it's not always there, at least not in sight. And there's a waiting for God to do something in the new beginning. I am admittedly an impatient person. I've mentioned that to you guys uh, plenty of times, but this last week, there was a moment and an instance, you know, your your children have a way of really like uncovering you, unmasking you in a way that it's not fun, but we were... I'm not gonna tell you what drive-thru I was in because I feel like everybody knows, but um, <laughs> the same drive-thru I'm always in. <laughs> and uh, we're going through there. And I have, I have now an app on my phone where I can just mobile order, and then I just go up there and say, I ordered, and they click on it, and I don't even have to talk to anybody. It's amazing. And it's, you know, And the reason for this is, in my mind, everything's about efficiency. So it's just like, if every domino could fall immediately, you know, I like celebrate when I drive down 1960 and the lights <laughs> turn green as I pull up to them. I'm like, yes, that's right. This is how the world ought to be. In my mind, like, that's how Eden should be. You know, you just go and every light turns green for you, you know, and you've lived long enough to know there are most days where that's not true and then there are some days where every light is yellow and red just enough to where you can't run it. You know, not that I'd ever do that, but you know. So we're in the line and we're waiting and um, I, you know how you have to choose two different lines? You know what makes me really mad is when I choose the wrong line. Get in this line, and then there's just like everybody's over here. This happens on the freeway too, right? Like you get in the fast lane, the slow lane just goes. So then you wheel over in front of somebody, they honk, you're like, okay, I, I did it. And then this lane starts going. It's just frustrating, right? Well, that happened as I'm in the drive through lane and we're waiting. But I mean, we're not waiting for like, you know, a minute or two minutes. It's like a whole song goes by and I haven't moved. So now I'm just starting, I'm realizing it's happening. I don't want it to happen. It just is. Because what ha- starts happening in my mind is I'm starting to think, who is incompetent and doesn't know how to move this line along? Or is there someone up there that actually came to this restaurant and doesn't know what they want? You know, like, why do they need a menu? Go in for the menu. This is all the things going through my head. And I look up, and so finally, I do the thing that, you know, we probably shouldn't do. I roll my window down, I stick my head out the window, and I'm looking down there, like, what's going on over there? Well, I start seeing people like they're handing this card over and over and over. I'm like, are they? What are they? How many cards do they have? You know, I'm thinking they must be gift cards of like three dollars and fifty cents. They're just you know paying for everything. So we get all the way up there. I realize, okay, the person at the front decided they wanted to do three separate words with three separate cards. You know, typical thing, right? And I'm, I'm just inside. I'm frustrated. And there's been like you know 20 cars that have gone in front. We're Morgan and I are trying to go somewhere. My son's in the back seat, and he'll go, Dad, Dad, it's okay. Jesus helps. And I'm like, he does help. Thank you, son. You know, and I, If it were just Morgan and I, I would have been like, that's enough. You know? But it's Jonas. And so I'm like, I don't want to crush his heart, which is actually leaning into what I should be leaning into. And that I struggle to wait on almost anything in life. Something as trivial as my meal that cost me roughly $7 or whatever it was, I struggle to wait on it. And all said and done, maybe it was 10 or 15 minutes. It really probably wasn't even that ridiculous. But in the book of Acts here, chapter one, verses one through 11, what you see is that the disciples are going through an ending and they waiting for a new beginning, it, this is the story of Luke has two books, Luke and Acts. The Gospel of Luke, he writes to Theophilus, and he says, this is all the stuff that Jesus did in his life and ministry on earth. It ends with the resurrection, and then he picks up in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Some call that book the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But the the Acts, the book of Acts starts with Jesus is now commissioning his disciples, Right? but he's going to ascend into heaven and we're gonna see how is the church of the living God born and the message of Jesus going forward. But here's the thing. There's this period of waiting between what has been an ending and a new beginning. And I don't want us to miss here that this is, it's an intriguing moment. It's a big moment. It's probably a really difficult moment for the disciples. They've walked with Jesus now for three and a half years and physically his presence is ascending into the clouds away from them. They're losing him. For the second time in the last like 40 to 50 days. First time they lost him, they saw him die and breathe his last breath on the cross and he said, it is finished and he was buried and they mourned, they cried, it's all over. Now we know the story is three days later he rises again and they embrace Jesus, right? All the different disciples get to meet Jesus and it says for 40 days he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, showing them many proofs on his resurrection and yet now he's telling them, I'm leaving. My physical presence is going to be gone from you. He promises I'll be with you, but I'm going to be with you. The power of the Holy Spirit will live in you. You got to wait here until the Spirit comes. So there's a waiting. Verse 4 says it like this While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he says, wait here. They had to actually go into the upper room is what they called it, and they prayed and basically just waited for God to show up. Now, many of us, we struggle to pray for like seven minutes. They prayed for days and days and days, sitting there, waiting upon God to show up in this miraculous way that they really don't, other than the prophecies of the Old Testament, they don't really know what they're looking for. Now, when I think about this, I don't know about you, but for me, I probably start materializing things in my mind, thinking that was probably it, right? Like, I I got a couple chills. I'm like, was that the spirit? Was that the baptism? Was that the moment? All right, you guys ready to go preach? You know, whatever. I, I, I struggle to wait and sit in that. You see, Jesus is preparing the disciples for this new beginning, but he's also calling them to accept and receive what seems to them like a death. Jesus isn't gonna be there anymore to turn to and say, so what did you say again about this, Jesus? There's no referring back to him. You notice that they're struggling here because they start saying things like, so is this the time you're gonna go ahead and restore Israel? Like they're they're like, so is it gonna happen now? And I love what Jesus says. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that have been fixed by your father on his authority you could underline that in your Bible and think of that for yourself. It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that God has fixed on his own authority. That's really tough to, to deal with, isn't it? When you've been in long periods of time that you don't understand. You've been in these difficult seasons and you're like, how long, oh Lord, until I'm, you like, David, how long, O oh Lord, will you allow this to happen? And the response of Jesus is, it's not for you to know how long. Only to know, this is what he promises, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So for us, it's he will fulfill his promises. Now the length of time in the waiting is an interesting question mark. In other words, there are going to be times that we absolutely do not understand the endings and we're simply called to wait on God. We're led to wait in the in-between, which is terribly difficult and even unbearably lonely at times. And yet this is the way that God has chosen to meet us and to teach us. And he's done this for thousands of years. Let me tell you some examples of God teaching people through waiting. Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac to be born after the promise. Jacob waited seven years to marry Rachel. And then you guys know the story, didn't work out, so another seven years to actually marry Rachel. Joseph waited somewhere, commentators just have different ideas on this, somewhere between 12 and 20 years before he actually saw his family again after slavery, after being sold into slavery. Moses waited 40 years in the desert for God to call him back to Egypt, and then the children of Israel waited another 40 years after their disobedience to actually be ushered into the promised land. Hannah waited many years for God to hear her cries for a child and for Samuel. David waited 14 years before he was actually the king after being anointed the king. Job waited for years before God revealed himself and restored his life after the loss of his children and all his possessions. Like we sometimes don't recognize that Job is not like this one day event. It's like Job starts and ends and there's years of this kind of wrestling and struggling. John the Baptist and Jesus. Jesus waited 30 years before starting their public ministry. That's interesting, isn't it? Like Jesus was already wiser than some of the Pharisees at 12, the Bible tells us, but he waited another 18 years. And then here's the thing, it's not just that God calls us to wait. Our God is a God of waiting and a God of patience. You ever thought about the fact that after the fall of man and Noah, you have these hundreds of years before God decides he's gonna call Abram? What's God doing? Can we agree that he could have acted already? Like, does anybody else ever think this? Or are you worried about it being blasphemous? Like, what are you up to? I think that sometimes. What are you doing? This is pretty broken. It's obvious it's broken. Noah is a good example of how broken it is. So broken that you just had to flood it all and try to do a reset. And they ended up immediately getting drunk too, like right after they got out of the ark and things went bad again. Or you got hundreds of years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. What's that about? 400 years where God's not doing anything? 4,000 years before Jesus is born. 4,000? Is that legit? Seems odd. What about the Exodus? Joseph's story ends. He dies and says, take my bones with me whenever we go see the promised land. And then you have hundreds of years of the children of Israel slowly but surely losing their place and falling into Egyptian slavery and bondage. Hundreds of years. If there's anything that we get from this, it's not just that God requires waiting of his children, it's that he's a patient God that's about the business of waiting himself. And we might think that that's a unloving, unkind God to be patient and wait like that. But don't ever forget that the Bible says that his patient waiting is a welcoming in of many to repent, right? He says that he's patient and willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He waits upon us. He waits and waits and waits. You see, waiting is not only a part of life in general, it's an essential part of what it means to be a true Christian in this life. And that's because waiting on God feels like death at times. And here's the thing, I think waiting is a dying in a sense. Waiting, in a sense, helps our omniscience or our desire for omniscience die, thinking that you know everything. Waiting, in a sense, causes your omnipotence or your sense, your feeling of omnipotence. It causes it to die. And here's the thing. We have troubles with endings because they represent the potential of waiting. It's not the new beginnings always because new beginnings hold with them promise, right? Excitement. But it's the waiting on that new beginning to start. I wrote down a few things. Unhealthy ways that we deal with endings. One is you could try to protect yourself by staying emotionally detached. If, you, if I could stay emotionally detached from people, then the endings won't hurt so bad, right? Like, so C.S. Lewis says it like this, if you want to keep your heart from being broken, don't love anything, not even an animal. Because if you love anything, then naturally you're going to have to lose it or be hurt by it, and then your heart will break. So you have to basically insulate yourself. So think of yourself like you have your heart in your Yeti ice chest. You're just making sure that thing stays away and protected, right? Like you got the thermos around your heart. I won't let anyone in. The problem with that is it hardens our heart not just against others but against God because you can't compartmentalize a hardened heart. You can't just harden your heart towards certain things. It's either all beginning to harden or it's not. Or we could pretend it doesn't bother us by launching into a new beginning immediately. So this is one thing that some of us do. We could pretend that the ending of something wasn't a big deal by saying, I'm just too excited for what's coming. Who cares about what lost? You know, Let's just move forward. When I was 12 years old and I, last, and I lost my father, that was my response. I told my mom, bad things happen to people all the time. This is just one bad thing that's happened to me. We have to move forward. And here's the thing, that is celebrated in a world that, that, that looks to strength and courage and resolve. But that pride masked by indifference can lead to discouragement and despair. Remember Peter after the resurrection and he knows that Jesus is gonna ha- he's gonna have to confront Jesus or Jesus is gonna have to confront him about his denial. And so what does it say? Peter says, I'm gonna go fishing. In other words, I'm done with the disciple life. I'm going back to my old vocation. And what happens? Jesus shows up on the beach to confront him. We're gonna have a talk. Or we could try to prevent it from happening. It's like prevent something from ending by working really hard to figure out a way not to lose it. So this is like the martyr hero, Peter. Jesus says, I have to die and go to the cross. Peter says, no, far be it from you, I'll fight. Remember what Jesus says? Well, first he says, get behind me, Satan. That was one. Another time he says, Peter, you will deny me before the rooster crows three times tonight. Peter says, just scoffs, ha, you don't know me. And here's the thing, we give Peter a hard time. He actually like lived up to his words. When the soldiers showed up, Peter takes his sword out and cuts one of their ears off. He's for real. He's like, they're not going to take you. And Jesus is like, whoa, I already told you this is going to happen. But Peter is unwilling to allow what he has found, this precious moment with Christ, being close to Jesus, near to him. This ending will not happen. And yet Jesus knows that it must. Or you could try to preserve what currently is by never moving on. This is when maybe you lose someone, but you tell everybody around you, we're not moving on from this. We'll never forget. I heard a story about one pastor, his grandmother, lost her husband earlier in life, and she wore black the rest of her life. And the, the message to the family was this. We're not moving on from this. We'll never forget. It's not and so you just kind of try to live in this preserving what was. Problem with that is it allows bitterness to take root in the heart and regret to own you. Or you could project the blame of loss on everybody else around you, right? So the ending happens and you start looking for people to blame. Why did it have to be this way? And here's the thing that I have found pastoring people is a lot of people that project blame everywhere else, it's because internally they're also projecting a lot of blame internally on why they're at fault for why this happened. I let it happen. And sometimes that could be true. There could be external factors or internal factors that caused an ending to come. However, the Christian knows that in God's sovereignty things end, They must end. It is an absolute necessity that things would end so that life could come. Now, here's the thing. Is there another option? Yes, and that's really what I want to point to this morning. Is there another option of how to deal with endings and beginnings? Yes, and it's rooted in the very fabric of the gospel itself. We learn to embrace endings and new beginnings and to wait on God in the awkward middle by following the pattern of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If you have your Bibles, just left-hand turn to John 12, and I want to read to you a, a portion of Scripture from Jesus. John 12, verses 20 through 26 says this. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So these Greeks show up, and they want to see Jesus. This would, this would be, many commentators say, a turning point in the Gospel of John. Jesus, for the first 12 chapters, has done ministry to the Jews. He has come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He has brought to them the message of the kingdom coming, him being the Messiah. And now there's a turn in 12 As Jesus turns his eyes to the cross, he's turning his eyes to Golgotha and says, I must die, I must be crucified. And so from 12 on, you're going to get Jesus talking a lot about what's going to happen. And he's doing his Olivet Discourse in 15, 16, and 17. You're going to see the stories of the cross at 18 and 19, the story of the resurrection in 20. Jesus does a lot of talking about what the cross signifies. But 12 verse 20 is a turning because the Greeks show up to talk to Jesus. And in order for the Greeks to really see Jesus and know Jesus, something very significant has to happen. Jesus has to die to welcome the Gentiles in. Now, that's interesting, right? An ending has to happen. In order for these guys who say we want to know Jesus, we want to see Jesus, in order for that to happen, Christ has to die. Listen to what Jesus says as Andrew and Philip say the Greeks want to talk to you. Verse 23. Two things are happening here. One is justification. Jesus says, in order for you and I to be saved, to be welcomed in, particularly the Gentiles, into the fold, he's gotta die. And he says there's no other way. One way to put it in light of our sermon is this. In order for the new beginning of the church to happen, first, there has to be an ending, namely the ending of Christ's life. A grain of wheat must fall into the ground and die to bear much fruit. He's telling his disciples this, I have to die. There has to be an ending. Now we know that it's on that basis and foundation that our Christian faith is rooted, that the the crucifixion of Christ, the gospel's right there, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us to welcome us in, to forgive us of sin. That's where we stand. But here's what we often miss is the next half of that verse, which is about our sanctification, where he says, And if you will follow me, you have to die too. Whoa. Now that's tense. (laughs) Now we've read these verses, but what does he mean? If we're gonna follow suit, he says, wherever I am, there my servant will be also. Meaning, if I'm gonna be going to my death, then those who follow me will go to theirs. If if I've got to embrace endings, guess who else has to embrace endings? Everyone who follows me. If I've got to stare in the face, what's gonna not, not just feel like death for Jesus, it was death, but that means that we have to stare death in the face too. Now, what do we know? Is that for the Christian to truly come to saving faith, we die to ourselves, right? Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. But I believe there's a second meaning here too, which is a way of life. It's a way of facing life that we maybe potentially have lost in the church, namely that we regularly receive death in order to receive life. We regularly face the death that's before us in in everyday action, everyday circumstances, and we say rather than trying to circumvent this, rather than trying to reject this, rather than trying to project, prevent, or project, I'm going to receive. Why? Because I trust that God will bring a resurrection from it. In other words, we're called to follow Jesus into resurrection life, yes, yes but we are conformed to the image of Jesus by embodying his death too. And listen to me, you might be thinking, that's really masochistic, or why are you saying this? Think of the words of Paul. Here's some of the things that Paul said. He says it like this. I count all of my earthly accolades as rubbish, as dung. If only I might know Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says that I might experience him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. That by any means necessary, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. What's he talking about? He's going to get the resurrection life, and he wants to experience Jesus like that. And Paul does, doesn't he? Like Philippian jail moment, like we get that. He gets there. But here's what he says, and I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering. How about one of these verses that's probably not on a coffee mug? Paul tells the Colossians, I am storing up for you what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What? <laughs> Anybody else? That's not on Facebook anywhere. Never seen it quoted. What is he talking about? Number one, is there anything lacking in the cross? No. So what is he talking about that he is storing up? What's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Here's what I think is happening. Paul is saying there's one thing that every, uh, the whole world will not see, at least face to face, eye to eye, physically, and that is the, cr- the cross. They might hear about it, but they can't see the sacrifice of the cross again. That happened, and it's historical, but they can't see it. But you know what they can see? Christians bearing in their own body suffering and affliction in the name of Jesus. And that can be tangible to them. They can see Christians embrace hurt, accept an ending. And rather than operating like the whole world operates, which is I can't stand this and I'll never accept it, they do so in faith and hope of a resurrection. And that makes the cross tangible because it's, oh, that's what Jesus looks like. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I received the affliction and the persecution for your sake so that you can actually see just a glimpse of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. When we planted providence seven years ago, I was totally unfamiliar and adverse to endings. Uh, To me, the only reason endings were necessary is a result of the sin, (laughs) a result of the fall and a result of sin. That's the only way I could see it. it's the only explanation I could come up with because I was like mourning. Listen, Revelation 21 is clear, wipe away every tear from every eye. So I'm like, that should not be the way we live. I was neglecting a lot of the Bible, by the way, so this is wrong, but you know, Christians have tears. But I just didn't see that because I was averse to that. I had no category for the ending of a thing to be glorious except the ending of all things. And I totally ignored Ecclesiastes 7:8, which says, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. What? better is the end of the thing than its beginning. I didn't have categories for that. So when we begin to grow as a church and we begin to see more people come to know Jesus and more people join the community, naturally change began to meet up with others' discontentment about the change. We had to meet the needs of all of these new people and this change, many in our church, people struggled to grapple with, why is this happening? What is that? What is the what is the change, this metamorphosis that's happening in the church? And they struggled with it. And I, being an unexperienced pastor, didn't know how to pastor people through that. I said, Why are you not rejoicing at what God's doing? But what I wasn't recognizing is that they were experiencing a death. And I wouldn't let them mourn it. I just said, Get over it. Look at the new beginning. And so every time I would say, Get over it, guess what they didn't do? Get over it. They got over me, though. They just didn't get over it. Because you can't just get over it when something that was precious, namely that, you know, sweet core team time when we're just like a family in the living room praying, dreaming about something, that when you lose that, it's a death. Now, it's a necessary death. Why? Because in order for what we dreamed about, what we prayed about to happen, this had to die. But that doesn't make it an easy death to accept. And so I didn't understand, and so I fell into a cycle of all the things I mentioned to you about unhealthiness. I fell into a cycle of that. Like, I was just on repeat. Frustration, bitterness, disappointment, resolve, fix it. Disappointment, bitterness, resentment, resolve, fix it. And then I never realized that in order to break the cycle, I had to accept the fact that endings are a real thing. And they're not only a real thing, they're a necessary thing. Because endings remind us that we are finite creatures and we can't control everything. And that's an important thing for us to know. Endings help us reflect on what has been, learn from mistakes, successes, failures, and triumphs. Endings teach us to see and feel what we lack and then ask God for help in our time of need. When we never face up to endings, we don't see what we lack because we think that we are strong enough to take it. Endings allow us to experience communion with Christ in the midst of our limits and losses, the ones that we want to ignore. Endings force us to listen more closely to God and others and to let go of what has been in order to embrace what can be. And here's the thing, waiting also is helpful and essential because waiting calls us to listen more and talk less. When you're in the waiting, you, David says it like this, I, I close my mouth, I silence myself before the Lord. Why? Because when you're waiting, you don't, the words don't matter. You can't materialize something that is not. So you shut up more and you listen more. Waiting challenges our perceptions of what is right and good because sometimes what we think is right and good isn't happening and we thought we served a right and good God and so now there's something that's not jiving and it challenges us to stretch us. Waiting unveils the crisis and chaos of doubt, discouragement, and despair in our hearts that otherwise would have never been unveiled if we didn't have to wait. We would have just kept that stuff right beneath the surface. When everything's going well, that stuff just kind of takes up residence in corners of our heart. But when we have to wait, all that stuff comes up. Think about me and the Chick fil A line. Listen, the impatience was already there. Do you know what waiting did? It just brought it right to the surface. It's not like I was patient. Before, and then all of a sudden, now I'm not patient. No, I was already impatient. The waiting created the chaos. Waiting causes us to hope it stretches our hearts to finally receive what God has for us. And it makes solid our confidence that God has already planted the seed of the new beginning, and now we're just waiting for what he's going to bring to fruition. And finally, new beginnings remind us of the resurrected reality that God promises us so many things, and he will deliver. New beginnings provide us with possibilities, potential to pursue new vision. They call us out of comfortability and into the unfamiliar, and they demand faith and trust. See, new beginnings are essential because they 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 require more of us, but in an exciting and invigorating way. Here's the thing. In order for the new beginning to happen, something must die often. Okay, so what do we do with that? Because that's a lot. Well, I want to give you a few questions to consider, maybe a few categories that might help, and then we'll close. What new beginnings have you perhaps tried to overrealize without mourning the loss of something? Reflect on that this this next few days. What new beginning are you trying to grasp, but you're like me, just trying to overrealize what's coming and not even acknowledging what has been. An example of this is maybe you do this with your kids. Like when you move schools, like you get a new house, right? And for you, the new house is amazing, and therefore the new school is, you know, it's, it's worth it. Because you got, you got the new house. Okay, well, my kid's got to go to a new school. But what you're doing to your child by saying, hey, why are you stuck in the past? Just love your new school. Is You're not recognizing they had friends. They had routines. They had all of these things that now you took them out of, and you're expecting them to just now they have a new bedroom, and then it's going to be okay. You're over-realizing the new beginning. You have to let them mourn what they lost. Have you perhaps tried to hotwire the death of something or the ending of something to rush to the resurrection? So it's like, if if um, if you have to go down into the valley, you just tried to kind of like go down just a little bit, tip your toes, then jump up to the resurrection. You didn't really embrace it all. Perhaps you're refusing to accept the ending of something that God is bringing to a close. You're fighting against it. You're not going to lose it, and therefore you can't even see what could be because your eyes are what on what are on what was. What's God up to in your life? The things that are holding on to, you are holding on to because losing them seems so very painful. Where might God be calling you to sacrifice, to be patient? Where have you lost hope? You know, when I see uh, the endings, waiting, and the new beginnings, I think of those three words. Endings require sacrifice, waiting requires patience, and new beginnings require hope, or they birth hope. And when you think through your last year, 2019, as you look forward to 2020, I encourage you, think through where might God be calling you to sacrifice a death? Where might God be teaching you patience? Because the the opposite of patience is not necessarily impatience. It could be you're a demanding person. Impatient people demand that things be met, right? So where might God be calling you to patience? And then lastly, where have you lost hope? A pastor asked me that question, and it was one of the most formative things for me. Where have you lost hope in your life? Then, where might you ask God to rekindle it? To give you some categories, you know, endings don't always have to be what you think they are. Sometimes they're an ending of a way of thinking, which could be a resurrection into a new way of thinking or living. Endings could be the reorienting of a relationship. But it also might just mean a welcoming in of a new relationship, a new friendship. You know, at Providence, we started doing these things with our home group leaders, our care deacons, giving them time off. But what that naturally required is for groups to actually dissolve or go into other groups. And at first, there's just like a, why in the world would you ruin my life, you know? Well, here's the thing. In order for our our group leaders to be healthy, they need to rest. But it also means our church has to learn how to embrace an ending so that they might look into a new beginning. New relationships can emerge doesn't mean that old relationships didn't matter they matter they're significant you can mourn them and then look forward it could mean the ending of a role or position but it also might need a new role or position to take the ending of a vocation or a career the beginning of a new vocation or career whatever it is in the waiting i want to encourage you if you aren't sure what the lord is up to wait upon him Seek him, listen well, reflect, journal, pray, consider. And all of this, let it be couched in this simple truth. And I'll close with this thought. The, I, I teach my son, we walk, we'd sing songs, of the New City Catechism at night. And here's the first question, right? This comes from like the Westminster Catechism, but it's what is our only hope in life and death? That's the question. Answer that we are not our own, but we belong to God, body, soul, and spirit. This is our hope. We are not our own, but we belong to God. All of the things God brings to your doorstep, you can, you can trust that because you are his, that he will sustain you through them, even the ones that feel like death. And so as the living Christ calls us to follow him, we have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus do? He faced the death that was coming his way. He was willing to embrace what was terrifyingly difficult because he saw the resurrection ahead. Hebrews says it like this. It was for the joy that was set before Christ that he endured the cross, despising the shame. He knew what was coming, the resurrection, so he walked fearlessly through the cross. And then he rose again to bear much fruit, not content to hold on to what was, but to lead the disciples into the new beginning the church of the living God. And so I'll close with this thought. Acts chapter one ends with the disciples are looking into the sky as Jesus goes and ascends into heaven and the angel comes and says, hey, why are you still looking up there? He's gonna come back the same way he just left. In other words, get down to business. (laughs) Go be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Many of us are stargazing at what was. And instead, we should hear the words of the Lord that say, get down to business. (laughs) There's a new beginning to be had. If you'll stand to your feet, I'll pray for us. Father, I, I confess to you that endings are difficult, not just because they represent lost but because i'm impatient and fearful and in the season of waiting i'm fearful that i could conjure up some word from you that's not from you because i don't want to wait and so holy spirit would you give us the courage to embrace an ending and wait faithfully to sit silently before your feet and to long for your voice if there be new beginnings that you desire for those under the sound of my voice, would you make them clear? If there be endings that they need to face, would you make them clear? If you desire for them to wait patiently, would you make it clear? But in all of it, Jesus, would you remind us of your nearness? That you are not idle, you're not doing nothing. Nothing. but that you are active, patient with us, teaching us. Holy Spirit, now would you call us to hear your voice. And as we partake of your table, my God, would you bring peace? And as we look into the new year, bring us hope again where we've lost hope. We ask in Jesus' name.